Well, I've always found that funerals and weddings can be very interesting occasions. Um, depending on your extended family, that may be why it's interesting right there, depending on uh, how they're wired. Uh, but it's, it's a time where extended family and, and old friends gather together. Uh, you always kind of had that sense of, okay, well, I'll see you at the next funeral or I'll see you at the next wedding, especially if you have family from out of town. Maybe you have family, you know, all very close nearby, and that's a blessing. You get to see them more often. Uh, for myself, personally, a lot of my family is out of state, and so for us, that's when we see a good majority of the family. See, most weddings are this joyous celebration where, where two become one, and there's probably going to be drama at some point or another. If you are on the road to marriage, if you're not yet married, one bit of advice I give to any couple that, that I'm a part of their, their service for them is, is there will probably be at least one mistake. It'll, it could come from anywhere, there will probably be at least one thing. Uh, a friend of mine w- was walking down the aisle, and for three quarters of her trip down her aisle was constant ear-blaring feedback. That's all it was. And then it got to the very end, and it stopped, and everyone cheered just because there was no more feedback. And, uh, you know, m- maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, you-, you take something where it's just, you know, the, the-, the bride gives the, gr- the uh, groomsmen dirty looks, and so they, they kind of turn it into a game and-, and trying to get under her skin, but they think it's fun. You know, things like that that have happened at, at weddings that I've been a part of. And maybe the, the groomsmen are trying to dye the lower half of the groom green just for the fun of it. I mean, there's all kinds of, something's going to happen. Some kind of mischievousness or drama will take place. Um, it's just the, part of that joy celebration of weddings. Now, funerals are, are a little different. They're another story altogether. Uh, there are some funerals I've been to where it, it's just been a somber time full of sorrow. Maybe the, the loss that we're there, the person we're there to honor, um, the situation is so tragic that it's just one of those things where it's hard to experience any joy. Even if you, you run into someone you haven't seen for a long time, a dear friend, but you just the instant you see each other, you're reminded why we're here. Maybe the loss is so great that there's not much space left for joy and laughter in the room. Some funerals, though, are a celebration of life and family. Maybe it was an expected passing. Maybe it was someone who, who had lived a long and full life and we gathered together to celebrate who that person is. Depending on your extended family, you know, maybe one of those moments where you can kind of put the fun in, in funeral. You know, but all, things have one, all funerals have one thing in common, is that the deceased stay deceased. There's a finality to a funeral. But they also can have a, an impact on us, I think, right? I mean, what, what kind of impact does a funeral have on you? Again, I know it depends on, on the nature and depends on if it was expected and, and how you're related to the other person. Um, maybe it's a sense of closure sometimes, right? You know, that someone passes away and just, okay, it's, it's an end to that chapter in your life. And um, you see, you, you're coming to the, that funeral for a time of closure. Maybe you're just kind of neutral. Maybe it's a friend of a friend. You're far enough removed. You're just there for moral support. And so maybe it doesn't strike you either which way, but you're just there uh, to, to show your support to the family. You know, maybe it's a time we fall into a contemplative reexamining of your life. Maybe the person who passed away is in a very similar situation where you are in your life, and you're like, wow, that, that could be me, and you identify with that. And you, you begin to examine your own life and say, am I really making the most of my life? Well, this morning we have a story of a funeral, and my hope, my prayer is that uh, as we look at the story of this funeral, that it would move us to a place of that contemplative reexamining our lives. As we see this story of a funeral laid out in Scripture, I pray that it would cause us to look internally into our own lives and to see if there's anything that needs to change or, or that we need to uh, increase in our life.
See, what happens is, is it, it's a funeral unlike any other funeral. Actually, let me take that back. It, it's a funeral like most other funerals, except for what takes place about four days later. That there's this one guest that shows up, uh, kind of one of those better late than never type of guests, and changes everything. And see, the reason this guest is significant, and I'm sure we've all had uh, events where someone shows up late or even after the fact, hey, I'm sorry I couldn't make it until just now. And, um, but this guest is significant because he's made some wild statements in the past. He's made some statements that reveal a little bit about who he is and, and how we can relate to him. And then the person we're talking about is Jesus. We're looking at a story of a funeral that Jesus shows up to four days late. And he gives us another I am statement. If you're visiting here this morning, we're in the midst of a series called Jesus Is, and there's a blank that comes after it. And we've been walking through these seven I am statements that he makes in the book of John. And in each statement, he says, I am something. And he gives a, an illustration that reveals a little bit about who he is. And as we understand the analogy, as we understand the, the what he picks when he says, I am this, it helps us to understand who Jesus is. And as we have a better picture of who Jesus is, that then helps us understand how we can relate to him. Helps us understand then what does my life look like? How am I to lead my life? You know, probably one of the boldest I am statements he make, it makes isn't even one that we're looking at in this series, but one we've commented on before in John chapter 8, verse 58, where Jesus is talking to some uh, other Jews. He's talking about um, Abraham, the, the forefather in their religion. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And see, Moses, another forefather, would have had this, had this experience with God where God speaks to him through a burning bush and, and sends him to say, hey, go and free my people from Egypt. And Moses says, well, how, how will they know who you are? What will I say your name is? And he says, tell them I am, I am. They said, that, that's my name, I am. I always have been, always will be that, that I am. And so we have this identity, this title for God. And so when Jesus says this in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. This isn't just saying, you know, trying to you know, connect into something. He, he's making a statement that he is God. And if you're like, no, I, I don't buy it, Steve, his audience bought it. Because some in his audience pick up stones and they're getting ready to stone him. Because in that culture, that would have been blasphemy to say you are God. It would have been a lie, but in this case it wasn't. Because Jesus, as, as we see, proves himself to be God. So not only is Jesus' statement a bold one, this week we're looking at where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Not only is this a bold statement when you think about bringing someone from a place of death into life, but he's at a funeral. He's at a funeral. I've had a, a privilege and an opportunity to pray with many people who've been sick, and um, I always wonder how to pray. I, I just I, I seek God in this. Um, but when, they, when there's an illness that we're praying over, and it's, it's gotten to a grave place of, of where it's, it's close to taking their lives. Do we continue to pray for healing and for that to be taken away? Or do we begin to see, I think this is where it's going. And every situation is different, and the Lord can, can do whatever he wants to do, and we continue to pray the desires of our heart is usually where that takes me. It is that God would heal in those situations. But here's someone who's already been dead, and Jesus comes in and he makes this statement about, I am the resurrection and the life. Imagine if, if that was your family member who had passed away and you see Jesus show up saying that. Probably be pretty impactful. Probably like, what are you saying, Jesus? Well, if you're saying that, if you're asking that question, you're in a good place because we're going to jump into the text here in John chapter 11 and, and try to understand exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Uh, if you need a Bible, you can take one of the Bibles in front of you. You can even take that home with you, make it your own, put your name in it, make notes in it, highlight it, have that for yourself. If you know someone who needs one, take it and, and bring it home to them and, and give that as a gift. Uh, we would love to see the Word of God in people's hands as much as possible. If you want to go digital, there is Wi-Fi in the building, so you can do just that as well. But we're going to be in John chapter 11. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. Uh, gospel basically means the good news. And so the gospel of Jesus is, is the good news of Jesus. God's gospel was written by John. So we're in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. If you want to go back after this morning, kind of fill in the holes, we're kind of going to be jumping through the story here and just hitting on some of the key points. And so we're not going to hit every verse here, uh, but John chapter 11 is where we'll be here this morning. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he who, whom you love is ill. So kind of establishing what's going on here. There's a town, Bethany, and we have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother, and they've already had some interactions with Jesus. This is the Mary who, who's anointed the Lord with ointment and, and wiped his feet with her hair just out, out of an undying respect for him. Just an overwhelming appreciation for who he is and wanted to show uh, him her love and worship because she believes that he is the Messiah, the one who would come to save. She believes he is Lord. And so this family has had a lot of interaction with Jesus, a lot of personal interaction with Jesus, the point where we see that uh, this is his friend, and all of a sudden, their brother Lazarus is dying. And so what do they do? Well, I think the same thing a lot of us do. I, I don't know your background. I, I don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've ever heard about him before. My, my guess is, is if you have any experience with Jesus in your life, you, you've at some point or another come to understand him as a healer, as someone who's able to, uh, to heal and to take away sickness. And so maybe you've even taken this step in your own life where there is some kind of major uh, illness in your family, in your own life, uh, in that, uh, someone you cared for, and you, you prayed to Jesus. Jesus, heal. Work in this situation. Restore uh, the, my loved one. Restore myself to place of full health. And that's what Mary and Martha do. Uh, they were on the earth at the same point where Jesus was walking uh, in the flesh, and so they called for him. Hey, Jesus, can you come and heal Lazarus? Our brother is sick. Our brother is ill. Can you come and heal him? And so he's dying. And they sent for Jesus. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now we've got to remember, too, where we are in history. This is not a phone conversation or a text message back and forth. Don't worry, this doesn't lead to death. So Mary and Martha don't know this yet. They, they haven't heard Jesus say this. So basically, they send for Jesus. Messengers come to him and say, hey, Lazarus is ill. Mary and Martha have sent for you. Can you come and heal him? And he says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. Have you ever been involved in a bad situation? And you just, it was wearing you down. And all you longed for was to know how it ended. You, you almost got to the point where you didn't even care if it was good or bad. You just wanted to know. If it was a happy ending, okay, you wouldn't have to worry about it. Hey, I know I got some hard days ahead, but you know what? God told me how this is going to all play out, and it's going to play out for the better. Kind of like if someone was sitting there, hey, how is this going to end with Lazarus? Hey, it's not going to end in death. Okay, okay. 
He's still sick. We still not sure what you're going to do, God, but you say it's not going to end in death. All right, you know, my, my, my worry is, is set aside. Or if we, even we knew it was going to end horribly, you know, terribly wrong. We can at least begin to prep for that. Maybe you're facing a, a situation of loss in life right now. You're like, I, I don't know how it's going to happen. Maybe you, you have someone in your family who's sick. Maybe you, you yourself are sick. Maybe it's a different kind of loss. Maybe there's a financial loss that's looming over your head. Maybe there's a relational loss. I don't know what it is, but, but even if we found out from God, if God said, hey, it's going to go bad, we can at least begin to prepare our hearts for that and be ready when that news strikes. But you know what? It, when we go to God in prayer and we seek Him for an answer, because we know, okay, God, you can heal this. There's two things that I know. The first one is we, we typically don't know beyond now. We typically don't know beyond now beyond today, beyond this moment. I'll tell you what happens in a minute. In a minute. We, we, we don't know the future. We don't know how it's going to play out. We, we long to know that. We seek that from God, but we don't know. But another truth I know that gives me a lot more hope after that first one's kind of a Debbie Downer is that um, our situation is not unknown to Jesus. I apologize to the grammar majors out there. I did use a double negative, but it was intentional. Like, God, do you even know? Is this, is this unknown to you? No, it's not. Our situation is not unknown to God. He knows the situation. How, how do we know that? Well, what did he just say? This does not lead to death, but for the glory of God. He's not surprised. He's not like, oh, oh, oh Lazarus is dead? Okay, guys, we're going to change the plans. We've got a hightail over there. I've got to heal him. He says, hey, this does not lead to death, but for the glory of God. It doesn't surprise him. He is aware of our situation. And that's true today for us as well. So what would you do if you were in Jesus' shoes? You found out your friend is dying, or messengers came and told you, but if you were in Jesus' shoes, you already knew that. Um, it's urgent. What would you do? Well, you, you go right away, right? But my, my friend is dying. I, I'm going to go right away, and I want to spend those last moments with him. I don't want my final goodbye to be over a casket. I want to be in person where we can have a conversation, where I can express my love to them and my care for them and just share those final moments. Well, why do you go right away? Because you love them, right? If you got a call with a loved one was sick or dying, you would change your plans. You would cancel things you have planned this week so you could go and spend time with them. You would make all those kinds of changes so that you could go and be with the person you love. And we've already seen that Jesus loves his friends. So what would you expect him to do? Well, let's see what he does. John 11, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay, if there's any concern, we know right there. He loves them. Loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he got there as fast as he could. He said, no, it doesn't say that. It says he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So he hears about this, he finds the news, and plus, again, remember, no cell phones. This, this took a messenger time to get this message to him. Hey, Lazarus is, is dying. And he says, okay, this is not going to end in death. And he just camps out for two days. What's, what, what are you doing here, Jesus? It leaves with this question of why. And if I can say a quick tangent. As you're reading the Bible, if you hit a wall, if you hit this point where you're like, Wait, why would this happen? Ask that question. You even ask it out loud. Because as we ask those questions, then we, we, we search for the answer. It helps us better understand what we're reading. I think sometimes we, we just kind of read like we're reading a story, and we just kind of let the pieces fall in where, the, where they do. 
But this, this is an account of what took place. And so ask the question why. Well, why would Jesus stay two days? And sometimes the, the answer is going to be right there in the text. Sometimes we have to keep reading to find the answer. Sometimes we have to do a little study and uncover the context, so what, what was happening in and around that time in order to, ask, to answer that question. But ask it. Don't be afraid to ask that question. So why? Why is Jesus waiting for two days? Verse 5 said he loved Mary, Martha, and Jesus. But then verse 6 says, so, meaning therefore, he loves them, so I love my wife, so I did this, or I did that. I mean, that, that, that so is, okay, here's why you did it. I loved them, so he waited two days. Okay, well, unpacks the answer a little bit, but it's still kind of an odd question. Well, this doesn't make sense. And so as we're investig investigating the answer to a, a why question, and he, he hits something that just says, hey, this doesn't make sense, keep going. Don't get discouraged by that. Let's see if we can continue to learn and see what is going on here. And I'll be honest. I'll be transparent. There are times where we dig and we dig and we dig and we're still in a place of, I, I don't get this. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I understand you can, you can share the story, but seriously, you still tell me some of these things. I've always loved this truth that if, if there's a part of the Bible you struggle with, a lot of the times, it's some of the stories of the Old Testament that people struggle with. And, and it's like, well, is this really what happened? Are you really saying this? What we can do is we can go and we can look at the life of Jesus and see how he supported the Old Testament. He didn't come and say, okay, this is wrong, this is wrong. Let me get out my Sharpie and start changing stuff. He quoted from it. He taught from it. He supported the Old Testament. And so I can at least say I'm with Jesus. And if Jesus is with the Old Testament, okay, I, I jam with the Old Testament. Doesn't mean I say, you know, okay, well, that answers all my questions. Well, you can still have those questions. You can still uh, interact with God in that. But if you come to a play, place after all the digging, you're still like, ah, it still doesn't make sense. It's, I have a hard time just having peace about this. Well, then go to the person of Jesus. Can you, can you come to a place of peace with him? And then he says, hey, this is good. This is true. So ask the what, ask the why, uh, ask those questions and, and keep digging, keep reading. And so let's see what happens. Well, Jesus told them plainly. This is verse, uh, John 11, verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, this is after a conversation he had with his disciples, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So again, at first glance, wait, what does he say? What did he just say? I'm glad I wasn't there? Well, you, you don't like seeing, you, know, you, just, you can't handle it? I mean, this is Jesus. What do you mean you're glad you weren't there? Well, again, keep reading. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. And we begin to unpack this, and we say, okay, well, he wasn't surprised when he got the news. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't know he was sick. He wasn't surprised. He knew what was going to happen. This will not lead to death. He, you know, he said, okay, so it seemed odd that he didn't go right away. He says, hey, this is for a reason, for the glory of God. Okay, so Jesus seems to have a plan in here. It all still hasn't been revealed, but you can begin to say, okay, I'm beginning to understand some of that. Why? Because I, I keep on reading and keep asking those questions. But let us go to him, he says. So Jesus reveals, hey, Lazarus is dead. He knows not only our situation, but he knows the details of it. He knows our current status. When things change, he knows that. Jesus loves Lazarus, loves his family, his sisters. And he wants to bless his disciples so they may believe. And so they head to Bethany. And what happens is word gets out that Jesus is finally coming now. And so Martha hears about this, so she runs out to him. 
I mean, so she leaves the house and she heads out to, to greet Jesus on her own. Mary stays back. John 11, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We begin to get some of this questioning. You can imagine, I mean, there's this excitement. This is Jesus. We, we love Jesus. Jesus loves us, and, and he's here now. This is a good thing. We want him to be here, but if only, if only you would have been here, Jesus, my, my brother wouldn't be dead. And, and then we see, if we were to keep on reading in verse 32, Mary pulls the same question. If you if you'd been here, Jesus, my brother wouldn't have died. They, they know who Jesus is. They know he has the power to heal. And they have, they have a hard time making sense of this. Even the crowd who are there with Mary and Martha in support of them and their family say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, so that they know who this is and what he's already done. He's already restored sight to a blind man. Uh, couldn't he also have kept this man from dying? Couldn't, couldn't he have done something? Hey, sure, good to see you, Jesus, but what gives? You know, what's up? See, when times of difficulty and hardship come in our lives, I think we do this too. I think we begin to question Jesus. If only you would have done something, Jesus. If only you would have intervened. At the times in our lives when we need Jesus the most, we begin to question him. We begin to question him. See, we struggle with, and hopefully you can relate to this, because I think in some way or another we're all at this place where we struggle with the concept of an all-powerful and loving God that doesn't work the way we desire. We struggle with the concept of an all-powerful, loving God who doesn't work the way we desire. We have to remember that Jesus knows the full situation and we don't. And so we, we may be praying for something that would bring about our own demise because we don't have all the facts. Let me give you an example of that. In, in um, 1979, there's a story, uh, I was trying to fact-check this and even if, 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 if believe it to be true and, and didn't find anything that would say otherwise, um, but there's plenty of stories like this. I can even share one, another one um, just from this week, not, not as sensational, but there's a story from 1971 of a businessman who came from Kansas to Chicago, and then he had to get from Chicago to L.A. So he had a meeting in uh, Chicago. He had to get to the airport to get to his next meeting in L.A., and he was running late. And so he gets in the cab, and the story is told through the, the cab driver's perspective. Brian Wyatt is his name. And so he's, he's sharing the story of, of, this cab, of this guy who got in his cab, kind of rude, um, in a hurry, in a rush, very bossy, and uh, they're just hitting traffic, and then they go in the express lanes, and there's an accident in the express lanes, and so like, they're kind of stuck in the express lanes because there's no way to exit out of them. And uh, one thing leads to another, and it's just, um, you know, has the guy turn his radio off, doesn't want to hear the radio anymore, but now he can't hear the, the traffic updates. And uh, Needless to say, he misses his plane. And so it finally gets to the point where it's like, you know, just this ex exhaustion, and the cab driver turns the radio back on, and he's getting the, the update for the traffic. And all of a sudden, he hears about Flight 191. It was a DC-10 plane that crashed moments after takeoff at, at, at Chicago. True story. The, the, the plane crashed. And so as Brian White, the cabbie, tells the story, he says that the guy in the back kind of gets real quiet all of a sudden. There's that change in his mood. Someone with his hand shaking, he kind of holds a plane ticket out in front of the cabbie. And it shows it's his ticket for Flight 191, the DC-10. That, that businessman was supposed to be on that flight. And so as, as the cabbie tells the story, he says that the, the businessman says, hey, take me back to the city. Take me to the train station. Oh, you know, so you know the, 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 the 
airport's going to be closed, so you're just going to take a train to your meeting you know, to get across the country. He's like, no, I'm going to Kansas. I'm going back home. I'm going to spend some time with my family. I think I have time for that now. And then, you know, the, the, the ride back was a pretty quiet, somber one. But here's a man who, who was all about getting on this plane to get, get to L.A. in time for a meeting. Imagine, this isn't part of the story, I'm kind of, you know, in, in interjecting this here. Imagine he was a praying man. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, I don't know. Imagine he said, God, if only you would have gotten me to that plane on time, I could have made my meeting. If only you could have done something about this accident, I, I could have made my plane in time and been able to do all I need to do today. It's on my plate. If only, you know, you would have found a better cab driver that would have found a faster way. And yet, for all he knew, God was stopping him so that he would be saved from this disaster. And I think sometimes in our lives, our life, we don't know the whole situation. We don't know that this isn't going to end in death. Jesus does, but we don't know that. If only you were here. And I'm not saying that we can't ask those questions of ourselves, of Jesus. We need to be honest with what's going on inside. We need to share what's on our heart with Jesus. But I think we need to then also surrender that. Jesus, this is my heart. I long for you to do this, but your will be done. See, we desire God's instant involvement according to our instructions. We desire God's instant involvement according to our instructions instructions i I don't think there's anything wrong as we look through the pages of scripture there's anything wrong with with desiring god's instant involvement in our lives i would say we we have it we've received it but where the catch is is we want according to our instructions we want the way that we lay it out see we, we typically don't question god's power and god's ability we don't question can god clear the traffic jam and get me to my, my appointment on time. We don't question, can God remove this sickness, this illness? We, we don't usually question his power. You, you might be at that place, maybe those are things you still question, that's okay, you can ask those questions too, we can talk about that. But typically, I think we question, is God for us? Is he listening? Does he care about my situation right now? This is an important meeting I gotta get to, God. Do you even care? See, God has his own perfect plans, which he will perform. John eleven twenty one through 27. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. If I can pause real quick, this is probably a phrase they'd heard from other people as you go to a funeral and um, especially you know, this day and age, if it's a funeral of someone who knew, knew Jesus, you could just remind them of that our eternity is secure in Jesus. And that, you know, that there's eternal life. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. And, and uh, they would believe that too, that, okay, that there, there's an eternal life, a day where, where the, those who have died will, will rise again and, and we'll all stand before God in judgment and, and we'll be able to be in heaven with God. And, and so I don't know if when Jesus said this, if it took her off guard, or if it was just, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, no, yeah, he, he will. And she says this, she says, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She, she sees the resurrection as this moment. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. What's interesting is, I think we can relate to this, where we can believe who Jesus is and still not be able to fully understand or believe what he's about to do. 
He's like, I'm I'm the resurrection and life right here before you. You said that that you know that the Father will do what I ask because I and the Father are are, are one. Yet you're still thinking, no, I'm only talking about this one moment of of resurrection. Jesus sharing the plan. Your brother will rise again. Martha gets caught up on on just that one moment, that last day. She sees resurrection as an event to take place in the future. So we die, and then when when, when there's a final day of judgment, okay, Jesus will, will, will resurrect the dead. We'll all stand before God, and we'll either be in, in, in relationship with him or eternally separated from him. But in truth, the resurrection's a person. What do you think about that? When, when I stopped and realized this, this was kind of a, just a groundbreaking moment for me. I've always seen resurrection as, yeah, something that'll happen. Yeah, after I die, I'll go into eternal life with God through Jesus. But in truth, the resurrection is, is a person to believe in now, not an event to take place in the future. And so what does this tell us about who Jesus is? Well, if resurrection is taking something from death to life, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he's saying that he takes us from death to life. I think we can see two ways in this story in which he takes from death to life. If we go to verse 25, he says, Though he die, yet shall he live. This is speaking about Lazarus here saying, okay, he's dead, but yet he's going to live again. We can go from a physical death into spiritual life. So even though Lazarus has died physically, there is a spiritual life to follow him. He's already dead, but he will live again in heaven. John 5, 24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he passed from death to life. So when we hear the words of Jesus and believe in him, in him who sent me, that would be God the Father, Believe that he has eternal life. We escape judgment. We pass from death to life. In Jesus, we go from place of, of physical death to spiritual life, to eternal life. And so that's, that's what Martha was, was focused on, but there's more to it. But as we understand Jesus as that resurrection, we can see that there is now no reason to fear death when our life is in Jesus. We have a guarantee of eternal life. Honestly, we can go to the funeral of a beloved Christian brother or sister, someone who's a disciple of Jesus, and we can rejoice in the sense of knowing that they are in heaven with God. Yes, we can still mourn the fact that we no longer have their presence with us until we join them in eternity. We can rejoice that they've gone to a place of, of eternal life, from a physical death to eternal life. We also see Jesus continues in verse 26, those who live and believe in me shall never die. How can Jesus say this? How can he say those who live in me and believe in me shall never die when he's at the funeral four days late of Lazarus, someone who believed in him and loved him and is now dead? Well, he's not talking about a physical death. It's not a physical death he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual death. Basically saying those who live and believe in Jesus shall never experience an eternal death, a spiritual death. We go from a place of spiritual death into physical and eternal life. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here's a garden for you, Adam. Eat whatever you want of any tree, except this one. 
The day you eat of this tree, you will die. If you're familiar with how the story goes, Adam and Eve go to that tree and they eat of that tree. And they don't die. There's not a physical death that takes place because the death that, Jesus, that God was talking about wasn't a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual death. What happens after they eat of that tree? Sin enters in the picture and begins to destroy and break down the perfection that God had made. They get kicked out of the garden. They went from a place where they would walk in the cool of the day side by side with God and they would, they would hear his voice and he would come looking for them and they'd be found by him to a place where they are kicked out from paradise. They're, they're separated from God. Why? Because of sin. It was a spiritual death. That's what he was talking about. You eat of this tree, there will be a spiritual death that takes place. And we've inherited this from our parents. We've experienced a spiritual death as well in the sense that we've been separated from God because of our sin, because of the ways that we've gone against the Word of God in some way or another. We are spiritually dead apart from Jesus in our sin, but there is hope. Ephesians 2. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, but, I always love that, because this is, okay, hope's coming. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Through the life and death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus, God has made a way for us to be brought into life. It's out of his love for us. So not only does Jesus bring us from death into life, not only is he the resurrection, but he says, I am the life, is what he says. And so again, what does this tell us about Jesus? So he says, I am the resurrection. tells us that he, he brings from death to life. Now he says, I am the life. Okay, so what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, life brings about growth and fruitfulness. And so this is like Jesus saying, I, I bring about growth and fruitfulness in life. See, I think when we think about Jesus as the resurrection, again, we think of it as that one moment. I would implore, I would encourage, I would ask us to leave this place this morning doing our best to live in the reality now of eternal life. To not just see it as a moment, but to see it as a relationship that brings life now. That when we involve ourselves in the life of Jesus and pursue after him, that there will be growth and fruitfulness in our lives. If you have issues in your relationships, if you have issues at school, at work, with your family, in overcoming habits and addictions, in your finances, in your thought life, in the words that you speak, in the way you speak to others, in the way you treat others, in the way you work, in your motivation, in a lack of motivation. If you have issues in this world, let us live in the reality of an eternal life and say that there is life in Jesus and pursue him. Seek him and how to live in these areas of life. Know him. Knowing Jesus has made me a better man, has made me a better husband, has made me a better father, has made me a better friend, a better worker. Nothing I've done is because of Jesus. It's Jesus that stirs in my heart after I've spoken harshly to my little girls and just been you know, too, too hard with them, too quick-tempered. And it's the Spirit of God speaking to my heart and saying, Steve, you need to go apologize to your little girls. You need to go change your way. 
It's the Spirit of God that stirs in me. And every time that, you know, that there's a frustration that builds, it says, hey, let's look at this from my perspective. How, how would I desire you to respond to this situation? It's the Spirit of God that convicts me. Where do you then go and confess sin to others and, and seek their forgiveness? It's the Spirit of God that encourages me. When I see what I need to do, I know what I need to do. And I'm not sure if I'm able to. It's the Spirit of God that reminds me that in Him, there's, there's nothing we can't do. So let us live in the reality of eternal life now. John 17, 3 says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, to, to live in that reality, is to know God. So let us live a life of knowing Him. Life also leads to new life. And so when Jesus says, I am the life, I believe he's also saying that in Jesus, leading to new life. John eleven forty one through 44, let's finish out our story. So they took away the stone. This is the stone that would have been in front of the, the, the opening in the, the, the side of the mountain where Lazarus would have been buried. So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So it's kind of one of those moments where someone's talking like, oh, oh, are they talking to me? Just like, yes, I'm talking to all of you. I'm saying this so that you know God always hears me, okay? And so he's, he's, he's praying here. He says, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This will not end in death. This is not how it's going to play out. It's going to play out for the glory of God. Jesus had his hands on the situation the whole time. As we live in the reality of eternal life, our lives will not end in death. And following Jesus, it does not end in death, but in one of resurrection and life. You can imagine what Lazarus did afterwards, right? And this is just a guess. The text doesn't say this. My guess is, though, he couldn't shut up about it. He, he couldn't stop talking about it. And, and in talking about it, I bet he couldn't stop giving glory to God. Here's what didn't happen. I, I highly doubt he said, hey, did you guys see what I did a couple days ago? Did you see what I did? I came back from the dead. Yeah, you know. I was going to wait a fifth day, but, you know, four is enough. I was starting to stink. No, he, he didn't do that. If anything, look what Jesus did. Oh, he didn't say, Lazarus, come out. I was dead, and then boom, I'm alive. I'm, I'm coming out, and I'm all wrapped up in my linen strips. And then, you know, people are so freaking out about it that he didn't say, hey, guys, guys, help him out. Cut him out of his strips. This is our buddy Lazarus. He's like, no, Lazarus is dead. We buried him four days ago. Who? He's like, who do you think I am? I'm the resurrection and the life. And the question I want to leave you all with is the same question he gives to the sisters. John 11, the second half of verse 26 says, do you believe this when he's talking to Martha? Do you believe this? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. If that's where you are today, then to live that out means to know Jesus. And to know Jesus means to, to get into his word, to be a part of his people, and to be about his work. And so if you're here today and say, hey, how can I do that? You're doing it now. You're in a good place. I encourage you to continue to take these steps in your life, being involved in the community of God and be about his business. Let's pray. Father God, you are a great and amazing God, and we just thank you for what you're, you're doing here in our lives. 
We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. We thank you that we trust in you, Lord Jesus, that our lives don't lead to death, but to where you, you bring about eternal life, where you do a work in our lives. Our lives don't end in death, but you say this, this story will play out in life for the glory of God. And whether it's a story like Lazarus, or whether it's a story of someone who lives their life knowing you, which makes an impact on our life, which shares that with others, so others come to a place of life. However you desire to work in our lives, Father, we welcome that. We invite you to work in and amongst us. Father God, we do believe that you are the resurrection and the life, Lord Jesus. Bring us to a place of life. Let us trust in you. Amen.